0: This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. This is the Bartender Journey Podcast number 262. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about cocktails and bartending and spirits. Well, Dave Pickerel was a huge force in American whiskey over the last several decades. Unfortunately, Dave passed away at age 62 on November 1st of this year, 2018, in San Francisco. He was there attending Whiskey Fest. He worked for Maker's Mark as vice president of operations and master distiller. During his 14 years at the company, Maker's Mark grew exponentially with annual sales growing from 175,000 cases to almost 1 million. He left Maker's Mark and started a distillery consulting business, working with Whistlepig, Hill Rock, Corsair, the George Washington brand in Mount Vernon, Virginia, among others. He was a big proponent of rye whiskey and played a huge role in the resurgence of American rye whiskey. I first met Dave at the Whistlepig Farm in Vermont, where myself and seven other bartenders were treated to a great few days there. I recorded an interview with Dave, which we'll hear in just a couple of minutes. I'll never forget sitting around the campfire drinking Whistlepig rye and listening to Dave's stories. I later ran into him at San Antonio Cocktail Conference. He told me that he had sailed to San Antonio on his boat and just arrived. He just got off of his boat. He told me that he'd been on his boat for, uh... Three months, for about three months, as I recall. The next time I saw him was at a launch party for the Boss Hog expression of Whistle Pig. He was dressed in a white suit with a big white hat like Boss Hog from Dukes of Hazzard. Dave was a great guy, smart man. He was a chemical engineer. In 2015, he told the website The Whiskey Wash, quote, I'm kind of an idiot savant at distillation systems. For some reason, I can close my eyes and see molecules running around in a still and know where they're going and why. End quote. I interviewed Dave on the front porch of the main Whistlepig building. Let's take a listen. Well, we're here with the legendary Dave (laughs) Pickrell. At the beautiful Whistlepig farm... What, sir, what is it that, about Whistlepig that made you want to uh, come on board with Whistlepig?
1: Well, you know, uh, um, actually, Raj and I jointly founded this, um, so it was from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, really, my, my desire when I left Maker's Mark was to do two things. It was to be involved in the craft spirit movement, and specifically to be involved in the resurgence of rye whiskey. Um, mm. It's my belief that rye whiskey should be America's his, historic spirit. It predates bourbon by almost 200 years. And and just hadn't been, and it was literally it it was a dead spirit, and uh, and I, I wanted to help bring it back to life again. Why is it so important? Well,
0: there's this historical reason, but also just profile-wise, it's, it's 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 quite different than bourbon, and it and it's and it's important for well for bartenders and for for America to just love rye again. Well, you know the the whole resurgence of rye
1: was the bartenders' fault. Um, yeah, or, or, you know, or um, but uh, but really, you know, If you in, in 2005, if you went around and said Who, who's drinking rye, the answer you either get one of two answers: either nobody, or I think my grandfather. Um, you know, and, and that's it. You know, I had an uncle whose name was Rye, but um, I'm, I'm assuming he drank rye. Um, but uh, um, but nobody drank rye. 2006 comes along; cocktail culture begins. And uh, the bartenders start pulling out the Savoy and the Jerry Thomas. And, and they get to reading those and they're going, oh, geez, look at that. The first Old Fashioned was made with rye and the first Manhattan was made with rye and the first Julep was made with rye. And they're going, God, if we're going to make cocktails and we want to be authentic, we need to buy rye whiskey. Yeah. And they went out and bought rye whiskey. And it was it was the bartenders, not the consumers, that started the resurgence. And, and in 2006, after decades of decline, rye grew Twenty percent in one year, wow. and it was all on the back of the cocktail culture. And then, 2007, it jumped again at 30 percent. And as soon as the data came in, I left Maker's Mark. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I have to do this. You know, it was literally it was already the love of my life since 2001, when uh, when I had been graciously invited to help with the uh, the reestablishment of George Washington's Distillery. And uh, um, and so I was just
0: I was so excited I just couldn't contain myself. I'll tell you the story. I was at a a a cocktail bar about you know let's say maybe eight years ago, and we were drinking rye old fashions. And they finally had to come. There was about six of us or eight of us, and they finally had to come out and say, "Sorry, we're out of rye. (laughs) We don't have any (laughs) more." Like, oh, sorry, we drank it all. (laughs) We we drank the quarter bottle that you had. but that was a common problem, yeah, right? Six or eight years well, ago, and,
1: and literally, if you go back and look, there were only like four brands of rye, and yeah. and all of them were being made by bourbon guys. It was all Maryland style rye. that was you know just barely <laughs> over the limit to be rye, and uh, and it just weren't many. And uh, and the fun thing is, you know, for me, um, you know, there are two styles of rye: Maryland and Monongahela or Pennsylvania rye. And Pennsylvania rye was rye with no corn in it, and. Literally, for for a bunch of reasons, um, Monongahela or Pennsylvania rye died in 1933 at the end of Prohibition, and uh, um, and while it was the more more flavorful of the of the brothers, um, for a lot of economic reasons and other reasons, it just completely died. But if you look at the resurgence, all of the growth in rye whiskey has been in Pennsylvania style rye
0: um, because it is the more flavorful of the two. mm mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, let's just talk about that for a minute. It, a lot of people don't realize there's different styles of rye, mm-hmm. and uh, so the two different styles again are Pennsylvania.
1: So, th- so the two styles of rye, you know, are, are Pennsylvania or Manangahila, um, and uh, you know, I, I, it, more commonly it's Monongahela, but nobody can spell it. So yeah, Pennsylvania. It's hard to say. It's hard enough to say <laughs> Pennsylvania. But, uh, um, but so Pens- what do they call Pennsylvania Maryland style. And you know, if you remember back in you know in the in the Revolutionary era. Um, people distilled what they grew. Yeah. A, a distillery was a piece of farm equipment, and uh, you didn't transport grain. So uh, um, corn's not native north of the Mason-Dixon line. So so all of the whiskey that was made in Pennsylvania and New York um, was all um, was all rye whiskey that didn't have any corn in it. You move south of the Mason-Dixon line and into the Maryland area. Um, there's a lot of corn that's grown, and so so the the recipe tended to be a mixture of corn and rye. Um, certainly, the, the from a taste profile, the the uh, the rye with no corn in it, the Pennsylvania style rye is, is a lot spicier right. um, because the corn sweetens it up and and uh, so makes it it's more like its cousin
0: bourbon then. Mm-hmm. So so no corn at all, but that doesn't. Necessarily mean that it's 100% right?
1: No, because uh, because uh, you can have some malted barley in it, right. and, and you know historically, if you look far enough back, people didn't understand what you know, necessarily understand what malted barley did early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and like if you look at George Washington's recipe in his era, they would say, okay, during during these months you don't use any malt any barley, and during these other months you do. Well, what they didn't realize is the corn was malting in the bins, and so mm. part of the year. They they were using corn and rye with no malt because you know and I think they thought it was associated with the weather or something but really they were they were using malt it was just the the corn had malted in the grain bins so you didn't need any other malt
0: and then would they blend that together in the end or well, would that just, be two it separate would just, products. It was just, products it was
1: just all cooked together and and uh, and there was enough diastatic power in the corn that had malted that you didn't need any any extra malted barley. And then in the winter, you know, well, you just had a fresh harvest, so it wasn't malted yet. So you needed to add some, some malted barley to it to, to make it go.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so just for anybody who doesn't know, the malted barley actually uh, introduces enzymes, right? The, the
1: right. Well, any the- malt, any grain can malt. It's just that malted, that barley has more power to, to do this. But, okay. the, but when you malt a grain, it releases enzymes that break starch into sugar. And it's a, it's a pair of enzymes um, called alpha and beta or alpha and glucoamylase. And uh, um, the first one is like, like, it, like I, I liken it to, let's say you had a big ice storm. There's a lot of tree branches, and they're in a big pile. If I said, hey, go over there and pull out a tree branch. Well, you know, when you go to pull it, the whole stack wants to come because mm. there's all cross-length with all the, the, the twigs and sticks and, and limbs. So if I say hey let's 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 all get in here with a bunch of shears and every time we find a, a cross branch just cut it off. Okay? So now you're left with a pile of twigs and sticks. If I say pull one out now it just slides right out. Okay? okay. That's what the first enzyme does. Hmm. That alpha amylase, it literally goes in and cuts all the cross links off. And so it goes from being thick in the mash tub to being thin. <laughs> the second one is like taking those and putting them in a wood chipper. Hmm. Literally, the second enzyme just starts at one end and just chomp, 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 and it, and it just takes the the starch, long chain starch molecules and just bites off one sugar at a time, and releases it into the mix. So the second one, is the one that turn, that actually gives
0: you the sugar. Wow, interesting. So so today we're going to actually uh, start making some whiskey with you. Apparently, that's, um, that's, that's like kind of the idea. So let's get loud. dirty in the distillery. I, I'm so honored <laughs> to do that. So so tell us. Uh, Whistlepig pig started and uh as everyone knows you, you've been um purchasing the juice uh mm-hmm. from other sources but now we're actually laying down whiskey that we're going to help make today yeah we're a, <laughs> you know
1: it's a, it was a, it was a, a long and arduous uh, um endeavor yeah with the the Vermont government uh It took uh, took four and a half years and a quarter million dollars in legal fees Mm. to get the Vermont government to decide that what we were doing was agricultural. (laughs) And, uh, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we we grow grain, we harvest grain, we make whiskey from water that we pump out of our own well, um, and then we feed livestock with the spent grain. And it took them four and a half years to decide that was agricultural.
0: We're, we're sitting here amongst, what, 1,400 acres? Uh, yeah, of yeah,
1: something like that. Rye that
0: you're growing to make whiskey. Beautiful crops, right? It's all, it's all harvested
1: now. The, the harvest for this year was unbelievably good. Mm. Um, it's the best harvest we've ever had. Mm. And, uh, um, and, we've it, got and it goes so in that silo right there? Um, no. No? That, that's uh, that's, an, that's uh, an old defunct silo that okay. was, that was uh, used when this was a dairy farm. Ah, oh, got uh, it. So it's all in, uh, in tote sacks stored in the um, in
0: the Another farm building off-site here. Okay. And uh, so, so then the next step, it's uh, brought into this building right here in front of us, right? And then, and then what happens with it? Um, so we
1: so we bring it in, then uh, then we have to mill it first of all. So we've got a we've got a roller mill, and uh, um, and uh, mill it down. And then once we've milled it, we uh, um, we go through a mashing process, which is where you boil up the 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 water, get it nice and hot, and add the grain in, and, you know, we're all going to get our glasses steamy later on today while we're, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I say it's, it's like a, um, it's more like making a puff pastry than it is like making a soup, you know, you just, when you're making a, a stew or something, you just dump everything in and let it go, right? When you're making a puff pastry, you got to watch it, you know, and, you know, I, I tell people, you know, there's no recipe in the world that can tell you exactly how much egg to make, to use, or exactly how long to whisk it. You just got to develop a sense for it. And you look at it and go, eh, that's not quite right. or uh, You know, and you know that if you that if you stop short, it's going to be soft and it's going to collapse on itself when you cook it. And if you know if you go a little bit too long, it's going to bake hard, and when you try to cut it open, it's going to just fall apart in crumbs. And it's the same with cooking rye. You, you can't just dump the grain in and let it go. If you're doing corn, you can. You can just literally just, as fast as you can pour it in, you can do it just really? and just button it up and go. You don't have to look at it at all. But when you're doing rye... You got to watch it because uh, because it's a brat, and it, it foams, it sticks, it gets so thick you can't stir it, and so you just have to watch what's going on and and uh, and you coach it to if you, you partner with rye you don't you don't master rye you just partner with it. So that's the process of ma- you so would call that distillers beer, right? We call right? that we call that mashing. It's not very no. yet. It's a, it's not so so at this yet. stage it's mash. Okay. Um, then we pump it into a fermenter. Oh, right. We haven't haven't put the yeast in yet. Right. And we put the yeast in right at the end of mashing and pump it into a fermenter and then it starts to ferment away. And in the fermenter, it's beer. Okay. And by the time it's done, after three four days, it's about 8% alcohol. Okay. And then we pump it into the still. Mm -hmm. And we start distilling it. When it comes off the still, um, it's a a, um, new make whiskey or white dog or whatever you want to call it. It is not moonshine. Um, I, I revel in that term. Yeah, that's a, a, a weird revile, term. Revile, not it revel, make... I revile in a term because yeah. moonshine is a, by nature, it's an illegal and unrefined spirit. And you'll see when you taste this that there's actually glory in this, even when it's a, even when it's. A, we we a, tasted it yesterday, right out, out of the still, distilled.
0: with our with our fingers, and it really is. It's, it's it was tasty. delicious. Um,
1: and uh, um, so it's it's just a, you know unaged or white dog, and and then it goes into the barrel and the magic happens. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, and good old um, Ma- Mortimer watches over it with with great care. <laughs> you know, we no longer—it's not the angel share anymore. For us, it's the pig share. Because <laughs> uh, we're convinced that Mortimer's watching over. Our Mortimer, forestry. well, I I know what that is, but we haven't explained that yet. So Mortimer was our very first pet pig. He was yeah. a, a, a Kunikunian. and uh, Mortimer was a great explorer. And from the very beginning. We didn't un- really understand how how much Mortimer needed to see the world, and so we brought him and his girlfriend Mauve, and they were just little piglets. And we brought him in, and, and we thought we had a nice, secure, and comfy home site for him. And, but he just he just needed to see more, and, and somehow he managed to get out of his pen. And uh, he was gone for two days. Yeah. And we we thought he was probably coyote food, but we were we didn't give up looking for him. And sure enough, we found him. Rooting, rooting around in our sugar maple forest. And uh, we brought him back and, you know, tightened up his pen a little bit, but we knew that he needed to explore the world. So we took him out. He got to walk the red carpet, and, and you know, he got to go all over the place. And he, he did. He got to explore the world, and he, he lived a full life. And, and in 2014, sadly, he passed away. Uh-huh. And uh, um, so in his honor, that 2014 issue of Boss Hogg, um, we, na- we renamed The Spirit of Mortimer, and that's when we started putting the pewter lids with Mortimer on the top of the bottle. And so, mm-hmm. so in 2014, the the, the uh, Boss Hog release had had Mortimer with wings, in in uh, commemoration of, of his, his of his passing. And so, this year's bottle will have a different Mortimer on it, and uh, you know, more celebrating his his uh, his victorious side. It's actually going to have a cannon on the on the top with. Mortimer standing there with the sword, and he's just pulled the lanyard on the cannon. And, and oh my God, that sounds amazing! It's awesome. But, uh, um, and, the,
0: and the stills that has a plaque that says Mortimer still, right yeah, on. Yeah, we call the still.
1: The still is, is named after Mortimer as well.
0: Wow! And so, uh, just to explain where the name comes from, Whistlepig. Uh, that's that's Raj's story, but I'll, I'll oh, ask you to tell it. That's a great story. So, uh, um, yeah.
1: I, Raj is kind of like Winnie the Pooh and and by that I mean sometimes he needs a thoughtful spot and for Raj a thoughtful spot is a walk on a wooded lane so back in 2007 he's doing some work up in Vail, Colorado and he just needed to get his head wrapped around a few details and so he gets up and and, uh, off he goes on a a little walk down a wooded lane head down deep in thought minding his own business he looks up and here's this rattle of a mountain bike and there's this guy just flying down a hill heck bent for election looks like M.M. Uh, at Walsh. You have gray hair every place, no helmet. And the guy slides to a stop right in front of Raj, almost knocks him over. And uh, and he gets off the bike all excited. He looks at Raj wild-eyed, looks at something in the distance behind him, looks at Raj again, back and forth a couple times, and he goes, Could it be? Could it be it was a big gift? And Raj goes, A what? And the guy puts his hand up to his mouth and smacks it a few times and goes, a pig you know a pig and Raj looks at him and goes who are you and why are you in my face and the guy looks at him and goes gets on the bike takes off down the hill and he's gone Raj is already in a contemplative mode and he just stops and he looks to the heavens and he goes this was the most bizarre human interaction I've ever had it must be a sign from the heavens I have to do something with this so he goes, how many names of Farm Whistlepig Pig Farm? <laughs> Flash forward two years later, we're sitting in the living room in here, and uh, we're shaking hands on December 8, 2009, that we're going to bring this to life, and uh, and we didn't have a, a ton of money, and you know we had we had a lot of a lot of energy and and a lot of creativity. so I ask Raj, so you call this Whistle Pig Farm? Why do you call? It? There's no there's no whistle pigs out here. And he goes, uh, um, he tells me the story, and I look at him and I go. It must be a sign from the heavens. We have to do something with this. Let's call the brand whistle pig, and uh, and so we've decided since nobody knows what a whistle pig is anyway, that we're just going to appropriate the definition. So for us, a whistle pig is
0: anybody that enjoys the finer things in life.
1: So you too can be a whistle pig.
0: I I am a whistle pig for sure. <laughs> yeah. According to that definition, I am definitely come. a whistle pig. So, it's all good. so that's how that's how we got the name, and you know, and it just goes to the the
1: heart of the issue is. The whiskey we take serious and everything else is fun. You know, this is a fun this is, it's a fun it's a fun way of life. It's, it's a, supposed to be fun. It's a fun industry. You know, and if you can't have fun here, go be a stockbroker. Yeah. They're not supposed to have fun. <laughs> you know what?
0: We were hanging out in a yurt yeah. last night. That was amazing. <laughs> I love that yurt. It is it is great. So if anybody um was say interested in um, distilling their own you know, starting a brand like, what advice might you have for them? Start with
1: more money than you
0: think. <laughs> yeah. So I carry. So if
1: you want to lose a lot of
0: money, <laughs> because of
1: my affiliation with uh, with George Washington's distillery, I get to read his archives and things. Kind of mm-hmm. time. And he was he quite documented everything so well. It's great fun. I've got two excerpts that, that ride around in my in my backpack all the time. One of them was. Uh, um, a letter he wrote to John Anderson, who was his uh, plantation manager, in, in the in the in the late 1797. So 1797, they um, built a tra- test distillery. It was a, one still in the back in the back corner of a cooperage, mm. just to see if it would work, and, and and it went very well. And apparently George Washington had had authorized the building of a full-scale distillery, and uh, so. This letter that I've got was was kind of like the the season the year in review counseling for his plantation manager. And in it he basically says, you know, you really have great ideas and you really you do an awesome job of managing the plantation, but once in a while, um, you present a really good idea and I authorize it and you don't move forward on it and it's kinda of frustrating. And basically what he's saying is, I told you to go build the distillery. Why isn't it built? And uh, so you know it's Counsel the guy and shoot him out for not having built the distillery. Well, you don't see Anderson's response, but about two or three days later there's another letter. This letter is a letter to his accountant. And in, in the letter to his accountant, he says, um, please take all due care to make all of bring all of my accounts to current balance because it appears that I need more money for the distillery than I thought. <laughs> So, you know John Anderson told him, the reason I haven't started is because there's not enough money to do it. And so George Washington is running around getting all his accounts current so that he can build the distillery. So that's what I tell everybody is is it's going to take longer than you thought and it's going to cost more money than you thought. So make
0: sure you keep all your accounts current because even George Washington had problems with it. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to start making whiskey with you. I mean, I'd be honored. And... Uh this is an amazing experience. Thank, thank you so much for having us. Oh, it is
1: absolutely my pleasure. You know what's not to like here? Good grief! You know, Gosh. yeah, you, you, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day. You know, you look out and there's on one side you've got the, the Adirondacks and on the other side you've got the Green Mountains and and I'm gonna, you know I'm Lake of is five us. miles away. It's a, it's a, it's all good. It's a great. It's a, it's you know again you know this the field up here is high enough up the, the right field that you can see both mountain ranges when the leaves are off the trees mm. my favorite thing to do is to take one of these Adirondacks and drag it up there set it up on top of the hill and well, uh look
0: at that mountain over there and man.
1: bring a, a, a bottle of rye whiskey yeah. and a good cigar <laughs> <laughs> and uh and there's nothing at all wrong with the world there's nothing wrong thank you so much for talking to me sir absolutely thank you thank you begin to tune it by ear, that's what Kevin's doing, he's, he's listening to it to see how heavily loaded it is, you hear the motor sounds a little different now. There's already grain that's in the conveyor that's got to work its way out. But, but at the end of the day, if it tastes good, it's, it's worth it.
0: Rest in peace, Mr. Pickerel. Here's to the lost.